Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. The word of the Lord reads this way. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall be see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Fatima, a Saudi Arabian Christian who was martyred for her faith, <clears throat> once wrote to those who were threatening her life, may the Lord Jesus guide you and enlighten your hearts. And to those who become Christians, remember the Messiah says, blessed be the perse- are the persecuted. And by God unto death, I am a Christian. Well, we are now in the seventh and final part of our series on the Beatitudes titled Hashtag Blessed. And we begin this series by talking about what it truly means to be happy. What does it mean to be blessed the way that Jesus is talking about in this text? And what we discovered is that true happiness, true blessedness is not found in a list of pithy little statements. True blessedness is is actually found in a radical life change that Jesus is calling us to here in the Sermon on the Mount. Because that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. This entire sermon is about a radical life change. Jesus says that happiness, or makarios, which is the word in Greek, is not found in anything else that the world has to offer. True happiness is found in the attitudes and perspectives that grow in us as we have a life that's being changed by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we talked about, this list of attitudes that bring happiness, this list of attitudes that bring blessedness, really seem initially to us counterintuitive. It seems like the opposite. But Jesus very clearly says in Matthew chapter 5, blessedness, true happiness is for those who exhibit the attitudes of being poor in spirits, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are persecuted, and those who are pure in heart. You see, the true happiness that we crave, the true blessedness we desire is not found in money. It's not found in popularity. It's not found in, in our careers or our hobbies or sports. It's not found in winning. It's not found in our friendships or our relationships. It's not even found in our children's accomplishments, no matter how great they may be. It's found in living out the radical life change that Jesus grows in us as we follow him. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This radical life change is is where where you stop believing that you can save yourself. And you adopted this attitude that you were spiritually broke and bankrupt. You're completely dependent upon God. And because of that, you're blessed. right? And you will be rewarded with the kingdom of heaven. And it's a reward 
that comes to you, not because you've done anything to deserve it. It's a reward that comes to you because of God and his grace. He gives it to you. Then Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn over their sin because that sorrow leads to repentance. You're blessed because you no longer live in, you no, no longer love your sin. You mourn over it and you're blessed because you're comforted with the knowledge that you're forgiven of all of your sins. And then Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And it doesn't mean that you're weak or that doesn't mean that you have to be weak. It means that in your radical life change, you're willing to set aside your power. You're willing to restrain yourself in meekness for God's glory. You're willing not to retaliate. You're willing not to settle scores. You're willing to take, take it on the chin, so to speak, for God's glory. Because you know that you're the one that's actually going to be blessed because you will live in peace as God promised. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Truly following Jesus produces in us a God-given hunger, a hunger to be merciful and pure in heart and to make peace. You hunger and thirst for righteousness because God is righteous, which means you hunger deeply for him. In fact, the more you have of Jesus, the more you want. And Jesus promises that that hunger will be satisfied. And then he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, not only is being merciful part of righteousness, becoming merciful is the natural outgrowth of a real relationship with God. You become merciful because you live each day in light of God's mercy that he has for you. And then Jesus reminds us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we remember, as we talked, Jesus didn't come here to modify your behavior. He didn't come here to change your behavior. He came to change your heart. He came to make your heart pure, united. See, before you had a relationship with Jesus, you had a divided heart, a heart that was diluted with lots of different allegiances and loyalties. Your heart was, was filled with things of this world. But as we talked about, God slowly removes those things, purifying our heart, ultimately leaving us with a heart that has a singular focus on God, a heart that's devoted to and dependent upon Jesus. A radical life and attitude change this is. And Jesus says that those who are pure in heart will see God, which is our hope. And then Jesus said, blessed are, those, are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus said, you're blessed, you're deeply happy, not because you desire peace, not because you pray for peace, not because you have a peaceful disposition. He said, those people that are blessed are the ones that actually go out and actively make peace. You're deeply happy, you're deeply blessed because you act like your father in heaven and you go to great lengths to make peace where there is none. You're God's visible children when you live out this radical life change and work to make peace with your enemies just like God did for you. And like I said, it's all about a radical life change. It's what we see here in the Beatitudes. Because in each one of these statements is we see a radical shift in our attitude and thinking. In each one of these statements, we see a radical shift from us being the focus to God being the focus. Blessed are the poor in spirit because God is gracious. Blessed are those who mourn because God is holy. Blessed are the meek because God is to be glorified. Blessed are those who 
hunger and thirst for righteousness because God is the epitome of righteousness. Blessed are the merciful because God himself is merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart because God is supposed to be the supreme prize that all of our attention should be fixed on. Blessed are the peacemakers because God himself is the greatest of all peacemakers. The Beatitudes and this entire Sermon on the Mount is Jesus calling his disciples not to a list of activities to do. He's calling them to follow him and to live a radically different life than they lived before. And Jesus says, blessed, happy, deeply happy are those who do that. And then Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my accounts. Did you hear that? Jesus said, blessed, supremely happy, well off are you when people, not like you, not talk nice about you, not when people are good to you. He said, you're blessed when people persecute you, when they revile you, and when they utter all kinds of evil and false things against you. Jesus says, if that is you, if you're being persecuted, you are blessed. Now, let me just be honest here. Um, this doesn't correspond at all to my worldly understanding of what it means to be happy. This doesn't correspond with my body and what it would say would make me happy. Because I know that I know it's what it's like personally to have people say evil things about me. I know what it's like for people to, to, uh, to lie about me. And I'll tell you the truth. I don't like it. Not one bit. But what about being reviled? To be reviled means to be criticized in abusive and angrily, in an angrily insulting manner. That's what it means. Have you ever been reviled before? Have you ever had someone criticize you in a vulgar, disrespectful way? Yeah, me too. I don't like it either. What about persecuted? Being persecuted means to be subject to hostility and ill treatment, especially because of race or political beliefs or religious beliefs. Synonyms of persecution are oppression, abuse, victimization, ill treatment, mistreatment, maltreatment, to be tyrannized, to be tormented, tortured, or martyred. Does any one of those things seem like it would make you happy? Does any of those things seem like it would cause you to be well off? Does that make you in an enviable enviable position as the word says? But that's what Jesus says. He says if you're persecuted, if you're reviled, if people talk trash about you because of his sake, you are blessed. You will be blessed. You'll be supremely happy. But how is that possible? Well, before I answer that question, I want to share with you a story this morning about a young girl named Fatima who experienced very firsthand persecution for her faith. All over the world, there are people who risk 
everything in following Jesus. I remember being challenged by a girl called Fatima from Saudi Arabia. She was in her mid-twenties and living in one of the most hostile places on earth to be a Christian. She'd not always been a Christian. In fact, she started life as a Muslim. And then through a period of searching, she actually became disillusioned with faith and, and chose atheism. She said that a lot of her friends would say, the Bible references Muhammad. And so what she did was she spent hours researching the Bible and she said, no matter where I looked, I couldn't find any reference to Muhammad. But she said, the one thing that I did feel as I read the scriptures is that God was near me and that the evidences and the information presented was true and intact. It wasn't long after this that Fatima began blogging, began getting online and writing blogs for her friends to read. She wanted to share her newfound excitement for God. As a measure of safety, she would do it under an alias called Rania, which translated means contented. To protect her from the multitude of insults and responses that she would get to her writings about Jesus, I remember on one occasion she received the following reply to one of her blogs about Jesus' love for the Saudi people. And it says, You worship a foolish, crucified, cursed Lord. We are not honoured by Saudi Arabian Christians. If I had you in my hands, I would slaughter you twice. Fatima responded with this, May the Lord Jesus guide you and enlighten your hearts. To those who become Christians, how you are so cruel. And the Messiah says, Blessed are the persecuted. And by God, I am unto death a Christian. It's this kind of faith and this kind of lifestyle that challenges me to the core. It's a bold, unashamed, a risk-taking faith. And as I think more and more about this idea of risk-taking Christianity, I ask myself, is there any other form of Christianity? Or is Christianity in and of itself risk-taking? It wasn't long after this series of blogs that Fatima decided to tell her family that she'd become Christian. You see, she said that she was sure of one thing, that they needed to know about Jesus Christ. When she told them about her decision to follow Jesus, an argument broke out amongst the family and it became heated very quickly. And the next day, Fatima returned from a family function to find that her brother had broken into her room and was actually sitting on her laptop. This troubled her greatly because she knew that the desktop picture was a picture of the cross. And she knew that many of her writings and blogs were 
sitting open on her desktop. She said when she walked into her room, her brother was very angry. Fatima decided to lock herself in the room as a measure of safety. And she jumped online and she wrote a blog to her followers and it it was simply entitled, I'm in big trouble. Over the next four hours, she asked all her followers to pray for her. But she also was able to write these incredible words. Jesus Christ is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? Shortly after this, Fatima's brother returned to her room. He burned her face. He burned her back. He cut out her tongue. And he killed her. Her own brother. You know, as I think so much about her story, I I think to myself, what's my response? I think to myself things like risk-taking Christianity. Is there such a thing? Because the Bible that I read, the, the Bible that I see and hear and the stories like Fatima, they tell me that Christianity in and of itself is defined by risk. It's defined by stepping out of comfort zone. It's defined by courage and hope. You see, it's easy to be a Christian in your head and sort of honour God with your words. But being a Christian in your heart and with your actions, that's the real deal. A Christian in the deepest fibre of your being. It's where faith, it comes alive and it materialises from faith into action. And your natural response to a relationship with Jesus is to express it any way possible. Just let that story sink in a little bit. Those images of that story, let those come to full focus in your mind. Fatima was martyred for her faith by her own brother at 26 years old, which begs the question, how was she blessed? How was she well off? How could she possibly be in an enviable position? How was she supremely happy? Her brother tortured her, cut out her tongue, and he killed her. How was she blessed? But Jesus said she was. 
He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake is exactly what he said. And it's not a metaphor. He was speaking literally. He said that people like Fatima would be blessed. But how? Well, to understand that, we'd have to understand what this is. You see, this is the most radical of the life changes. The willingness to stand in the face of persecution. The willingness to allow others to hate you without giving it back to them. The willingness to be merciful and meek to others who oppress you and treat you horribly. When others mistreat you for the sake of Christ and the gospel. The willingness to be martyred. The willingness to endure the worst that humanity can offer. The willingness and meekness to stand up for Jesus and refuse to deny him. It's the most radical of life changes. And Jesus says, blessed, happy are those who do that. Blessed are those who do that. And to the rest of the world, this is stupid. You understand that? The rest of the world, this is just not going to make any sense to them. This is not going to seem logical because the rest of the world, when they take a stand, they do so until it becomes too painful and then they switch sides. That's why we see so much of our culture shifting. That's why we see so much of the world around us shifting. That's why we see so many churches shifting. It becomes too painful to stand up. That's why we embrace the LGBT agenda. That's why we embrace That's why so many churches embrace the idea that all religions lead to God. It's because it's too painful to stand up. Our culture, our our entertainment industry, even our government is making it more and more painful to stand firm on what the Bible actually says is true. And so the world encourages us to switch sides. And for the rest of the world, if you stand firm, you do so until it gets too hard and they just give up. You talk a good talk, but you don't walk the walk, right? That's why so many marriages fail. Because people come before God and say, till death do I part, till death do us part. And then they find out that marriage is about work. <laughs> and that it's about getting through the hard times. And it's about sacrifice. And then that commitment requires that we get through the tough times. It's just easier to quit. You see, the rest of the world being persecuted for the truth Being persecuted for the sake of Jesus is not what happiness is about. For them, happiness is about getting your own way. Happiness is about being popular. Happiness sometimes is about getting even with people. Happiness is about all the, it's opposite of all the things that Jesus said that would make us blessed. But again, right here it is. Right here in the word of God, the infallible, inerrant word of God, Jesus, God in the flesh says... Blessed, well off, happy are those who endure persecution for Christ. Fatima is blessed for what she endured at the hands of her own brother. But how? Well, it really comes down to our understanding of what happiness really is. And what we've come to understand to this point is happiness, 
True happiness that satisfies our soul. Happiness that endures through the ages. Makarios, as Jesus called it, is not found in what the world can offer us. Now, I, I do know enough about you to know that if you accidentally, you know, if you went to the store and accidentally bought a lotto ticket, you know, and it, you won $10 million, that for some period of time, you would probably experience some happiness. You'd be excited. You'd probably shout and jump for joy and holler and you would feel all the endorphins rushing through your body as you think about all that money in your bank account. You'd be excited about all the things you could do with it and what the bills you could pay with it. And you'd take a big sigh of relief like, ah, like, like there's this, you know, you'd be happy for a moment. But in time, that happiness would begin to fade as it always does. Did you know that most people who win the lotto end up actually as broke again? And many of them end up with deep depression and anxiety, and most of them end up with family troubles. Long-term happiness is not about money, and we all know it. Even though that we all want to give it a try at least once. Happiness isn't about your career either. Even though that there are many rewarding moments in your career, ultimately your career isn't going to make you happy. And neither will your hobbies, and neither will your, your favorite uh, team winning the championship, neither will your relationships, and neither will sex, and neither will you being accepted by everyone around you, and neither will you be always being treated respectfully. That will not make you happy. All these things bring momentary happiness, but none of these things will give you the soul-satisfying happiness, the blessedness that we all deeply yearn for. And we know it, and we all have experienced the hollowness of our momentary happiness. Real happiness, real blessedness is found in something else. It's found somewhere else. That kind of happiness, by definition, must then be vastly different than everything else we've experienced. All the other happinesses that we've experienced in this world only can point to it. It must be different. Otherwise, it would fade away like everything else. So what is this blessedness that would cause a young woman like Fatima to risk Risk all the happiness that the world had to offer her to tell her family that she is a Christian. Because think about it. She's never, she didn't experience the, the happiness from being married. She didn't experience the happiness of bearing children or grandchildren. She didn't experience the happiness of a, of a fulfilling career. What is this, this blessedness that was offered to her that would cause her to do that? Because she had to know, right? In a family like that, in a culture like that, in a country like that, she didn't know that that confession was dangerous, that at some point it would cost her something. What is this blessedness that in face of danger that she would say, I am unto death a Christian? What is this blessedness that she would willingly endure torture at the hands of her own brother, her own flesh and blood? Because he didn't just kill her. He didn't just go in there and just like shoot her in the head. He burned her. He cut out her tongue. And then he killed her. What is this blessedness that can actually come after that? Because according to the world, she was not happy. Quite the opposite. 
are blessed, right? I mean, being tortured doesn't seem to me a blessing. In fact, most people who call themselves Christians would struggle to say that she was in an enviable position. But here we are, looking at this text. And Jesus, the Lord himself, says she is blessed. She is deeply and satisfyingly happy because she was persecuted. So what is this kind of blessedness? What is this happiness? Where does it come from? Because it must be a radically different kind of happiness. It has to be a radically different kind of blessedness because it stands in complete and total stark contrast of what our intuition says is blessed. And more than that, this blessedness requires a radically different kind of life. A life where we gladly admit that we're broken and bankrupt spiritually. A life where we willingly mourn and weep over our sin. A life where we restrain our power in the face of evil committed against us in an effort to glorify God. A life where you deeply hunger and desire God's righteousness in your life. A life where you show mercy to those who deeply wrong you. A life where your mission is to go out and make peace with those that you don't have peace with. A life where you're single-mindedly focused on God. It is a radically different kind of life in the rest of the world. And yet Jesus promises, Fatima, and to you, a radically different kind of happiness, a kind of happiness so deep and so fulfilling that it warrants all of us to live this radically different kind of life, a life where you could be blessed to be persecuted. So what is this blessedness? What is this happiness? Well, Jesus answers the question for us. In the beginning and the ending of this section called the Beatitudes, like we said, there's an idea in this text that kind of acts as a bookend to this entire introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And the idea is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus opens up in verse 3 and says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we go all the way to verse 10, and he says, Blessed are you, those who are persecuted, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's not an accident that Jesus started and ended with this. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. Jesus did this on purpose. There's an intimate connection here. There's a logic here. Because how do you even come into the kingdom of heaven to start with? You come into the kingdom of heaven denying that you have any possible way of making yourself saved. You admit that you're a fallen, broken sinner, a sinner who deserves the just punishment of death. That you're completely spiritually dead. You have nothing to offer God. Nothing. Nothing. And you know what awaits you. You know it's an eternity. A forever existence in hell, completely separated from God. And you understand that God is not evil for sending you there. He's not mean. He's not unloving. You were sent there because it's exactly what you deserve. It's the just reward for a life of sin. It's the wages of your rebellion against the holy God. I mean, search your heart. You will know that you have fallen short of God's standards more times than you can possibly imagine. 
And if God were to hold your trial today and presented all the evidence against you, you wouldn't defend yourself. You wouldn't say a word. You would only plead guilty because you know that you are. You would agree with God's righteous judgment that you deserve to spend eternity separated from him and away from his life-giving presence. You know what awaits you because of your sin, and you know that there's nothing you can do to, to escape it. And you know that there's nothing that you can do to offer God. You can't be good enough. You can't do good enough. You can't be selfless enough. You can't love enough, be compassionate enough. You can't feed enough hungry people. All of your righteous deeds are but filthy rags before a holy God, and you know it. And Jesus says, blessed is the one who comes to that place. Blessed is the one who comes to a God saying, Father, I have nothing, nothing, nothing to offer you. I have nothing to give you. I am broken and completely helpless. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why are they blessed? Blessed is he because being broken and desperate, being broken and desperate, when God then turns and offers salvation through Jesus Christ, you leap at the opportunity to take it. You gladly accept it. Yes, Lord. Yes, I accept it. Yes, I want Jesus to be my sovereign king. Yes, Lord. I accept your gracious gift of eternal life. I accept the gift of the kingdom of heaven. That is what motivated Fatima. That was what she was looking forward to. The kingdom of heaven. Where she says, yes, Lord, to all The heaven has to offer and says, all this world has to offer is nothing to me. I know who I am and I know what I deserve. And I gladly accept your offer to save me by your grace because you've given me the greatest possible gift imaginable, eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, you've given me the comfort of forgiveness of all my sins that I've ever committed. Lord, you've given me in your kingdom, the hope of the satisfaction that all of my greatest desires will be fulfilled. Yes, Lord, because you've given me the hope that I will inherit the land, which means I will forever live in peace where there is no more pain and no more sorrow and no more hurt and no more persecution. Yes, Lord, I accept because you have given me oceans and oceans and oceans of mercy. Mercy every single day as you promise that they're new every single morning. And even more than that, Lord, I'm not just one of your subjects. I'm not some enemy of yours. I'm not even a stranger that you rescued. You have made me one of your children. You've given me the right to become one of your children. I'm part of your family now. Never to be rejected. Never to be left alone. And then, as if that's not enough. As if being spared from eternity in hell is not Enough of all of these things that he gives us and he's promised is not enough. He then turns and promises that I'll get to actually one day see him and experience him. To come and stand in the presence of the king. To stand in awestruck excitement at his glory. To forever be comforted by his grace. Yes, Lord, I accept all of that. And because of that, Lord, yes, I will stand up for you. I will stand up and allow people to say mean things about me. I will allow others to, to be mean and make fun of me and persecute me. Maybe even take my own life. Take my life from me. I'll let them do that. 
Because you, Lord, you, Lord, had mercy on me, a vile, broken sinner. You loved me, a pitiful, unlovable creature. You rescued me and you gave me a new identity in Christ, a new family. Yes, Lord. The answer will always be, yes, Lord. Yes, I will follow you. Yes, I will step out of my comfort zone for you. Yes, I'll be persecuted for you. Yes, I will die for you. Because you and your name will be glorified in the world. And Lord, my greatest desire is to be one of the ones that would would be the one that would glorify you. My life is small and completely insignificant. But I will absolutely do everything I can do to stand up for Jesus Christ, my healer, my savior, and my king. It would be a privilege and it would be an honor to share in your suffering. I agree with all my heart what Peter says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It would be a privilege to suffer for Jesus. It would be a joy to die for him. I mean, understand this. I'm going to die anyway. At some point in time, I'm going to die anyway. Why not die for what I love the most? My King and my God, Jesus Christ. You see, this list of Beatitudes doesn't make sense to the world because the world has no idea what happiness is. Because if it did, they would all line up to be persecuted right now. If the world understood what it, what it, what it meant, what happiness really was... People would immediately become poor in spirit and meek and merciful and pure in heart. But the world, in its blindness, it desperately holds on to the shadows of happiness. Money, power, popularity, fame, relationships. The world desperately clings to those things, not knowing that all of these things point toward a greater reality of the kingdom of heaven. The world is blind. The world is dying. The world is chasing after things that will never satisfy them. And the world will chase those things all the way to the grave. There are people around us that we know who live just like that. People in our community, people in our families, people at work, people at school. I have a a very good friend who has a beautiful family, has a thriving career. He's got plenty of money. Lives, he's got a nice house. He's got a promotion. And he works his tail off. Because one day, his hope, as his religion tells him, that he's going to be a god someday. My friend is pursuing happiness just like the world pursues happiness. My friend is perishing. He's dying to be blessed. He's desperate for it, but he'll never get it that way. We all know people like this. We all know people who are trying desperately to fill that God-shaped hole in their hearts with relationships and activities and stuff and intimacy with other people and even drugs and alcohol and even religion itself. 
People who will go to their grave searching only to find that on the other side of eternity is a vast wasteland of perpetual emptiness called hell that awaits them. Why did Fatima speak out? Because she knew what she found. And she knew that everyone around her was searching for the same thing. She knew that she had no choice. She had no choice but to tell them because she loved them. She had, she was compelled to tell them. That's what the loving thing to do is, is she had to tell them. Besides, what else did she have to lose? She'd already been given everything. You understand that? She was given the kingdom of heaven. She was given mercy. She was given peace. She was given everlasting life that come, and everything that comes with that. You understand that all the happiness that she may have missed out on in this world has already been made up for a billion times over in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever she lost in this world was nothing compared to what God has given her. As the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 3, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Fatima had nothing to lose because she already gained everything. Because Jesus promises, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, Blessed are you when you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he says, rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven is why. The reward of heaven is what Fatima was looking forward to. That's why she took such a big risk. It's why... The words, I am unto death a Christian, ring true. It is the reward of heaven that radically, this radically different kind of happiness that comes from this reward. It caused her to live a life that was radically different than what the world would have her do. Now, in light of this, in light of what Fatima endured, and in light of what Jesus has says, has said. What about you? Is this radically different kind of happiness? Is this radically different kind of happiness? Is it enough for you? Is the promise of heaven enough for you? Is it enough for you to live this radically different kind of life that Jesus is absolutely 100% calling you to? I mean, do you live the life knowing that you bring nothing to your relationship with God? Do you understand that it's by his, his hand 
and by His grace that you're saved? Do you live a life where you mourn over your sin, where you, where you sorrow deeply for sin that gets in the way between you and God? And does that mourning lead to repentance that causes you to turn back to Him? Do you live a life of meekness, power under control, where you could make a scene, where you could tell them off, where you could settle the score? But you don't because honoring God is more important to you than feeling vindicated. Do you live a life where you have a deep-seated desire for righteousness in your life? Do you have a hunger for God to change you and take out of you what is unrighteous and plant in you the righteousness of things like mercy and purity and peacemaking? Do you live a life knowing full well how merciful God is and because of that you're willing to be merciful to others? Do you live a life where you seek to make peace to the best of your ability with others? And do you live a life of single-minded focus on God? Is He the source of your affections? Is He the greatest desire of your heart? And then are you willing to go out into the world and look foolish for Jesus? Are you willing to be rejected? Are you willing to be made fun of? Are you willing for people to call you names? Are you willing for people to call you things like bigot and Jesus freak? Or hateful or homophobe as you stand up for what's true? Are you willing to risk not... Are you, risk, are, you willing, are you willing to risk people not talking to you anymore? In order that you may share the gospel? Are you willing to be persecuted? Does the prospect of heaven overwhelm your fear of what you would lose on the earth? I mean, the question I think that you have to wrestle with is... Where's your ultimate happiness? Is it, is it here? Is it the stuff that's around you? Is it your friendships? Is it your family? Is it your career? Your hobbies? Is it your accomplishments? Or is your happiness... Your ultimate happiness found in the kingdom of heaven. That's the These are the questions we have to ask ourselves. And I admit this is a big series with uh, really big implications. I mean, the, the word of God it says is alive and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. So let me ask you: Where does this text cut you the deepest? Or does it pierce your heart the most? God is calling you to a radically different kind of life. A radically different kind of happiness. There is no hearing this word and then going back to the way things are. Right? The word changes us. It cuts us to the quick. So where did it cut you? Where does it cut you? And more importantly, based on that, what are you going to do about it? Will you feel convicted? You go, whew, that hurts. But then walk out of here and nothing happens. And then go, praise the Lord, that series over. Let's talk about something else. Or will you finally sell out? And embrace the radical life change that Christ is calling you to because of the blessedness that awaits you. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
and those who mourn and the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful and the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those who are persecuted for, for Christ's sake. For they are blessed because they're God's children and one day they will see him. And they will live in the comfort of forgiveness and in peace in the kingdom of heaven forever and ever and ever. That was Fatima's hope. And I pray with all my heart that it is yours as well. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I read the text, I preach the text, and it cuts me. I read these words and I realize how much growing I have to do still. But I thank you, Lord, that it does cut me because it reminds me that that conviction is evidence of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in me and it's evidence of the fact that I've been saved. Your word says that God chastises those he loves. I'm chastised and I'm grateful that you love me. Now help me grow in this. Help me to walk in this. Help me to live this radically different kind of life because I absolutely look forward to that radically different kind of happiness. Sometimes, Lord, I think I can even taste it. I can feel it almost. Help us all, Lord God, to follow you the way that you're calling us to. Help us to be the people that you're calling us to because the world is expecting what the world already sees. But it's only when we live these radically different kind of lives, Lord, that we can stand out like shining beacons of hope in this dark world, Lord. Help us, Lord, to embrace this blessedness and to walk in this, every bit of it, to live the radically different kind of lives that you're calling us to. Father, I pray that you'd raise up a people in this church who will sell out for you today, Lord God, and who will go out unafraid, unashamed, and for the hope of the glory that you've offered, that we would go out and share the hope of Jesus Christ with our neighbors and our friends and our family and all this community, Lord. That this entire town would be covered over with the gospel, Lord. For your glory. We pray, Lord God, for those who couldn't be here today. I pray for the families that are here today. I pray that we all glorify you in our lives and our words and our actions. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.